Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Was Andrew the one that helped you get uh, the podcast back up? Yeah, he did get the podcast. He didn't help me. Don't, he did it. Yeah. No, don't don't you think you owe him a dinner for that? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he didn't. <laughs> Got him. One, two, three. Welcome to Apologetics Live. We're here to answer your questions and challenges about God and the Bible. Meet your hosts from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport, Dr. Anthony Silvestro, and Pastor Justin Pierce. Ah, We're live! Apologetics Live here every Thursday night. There's Pastor Justin. You know, hello, Pastor Justin, guess what? What's that? We got someone right over there. We got a special guest. There he is. There's a Stockwell in the house. That's that's the Mike Stockwell. That is. You know what that means when a, when there's a Stockwell in the house? No sushi. Well, I was going to say no food, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Well, welcome to Apologetics Live Thursday night. Uh, we we played that intro uh, because we we should have should have. Uh, Mr. Metzlick coming in. He, he uh, is, wants to join us, but I, actually I did see just before we went live that he's still doing the after show for his radio show. It seems like he may have a sinless perfectionist that he's talking with, and so oh, that yeah. may go on for a while. We'll, we'll have to check in later with him and see when he comes in. So tonight we're going to deal with a topic uh, that comes from, well, this really does stem from the debate from two weeks ago. You, you, had, a, um, you had something you wanted to read, I think. That we got recently, uh, some people oh, have been sending us. I pull yeah. up. So while you're pulling that up, uh, so what we're going to deal with is after we did the debate on Calvinism. Calvinism uh, was Calvinism useless, or Calvinism is useless and dangerous was the topic of that uh, that debate. Um, well, we got some interesting reactions, and, and I will say this: this is what happens when people debate. You have one of two choices. When when someone exposes what you're what you're saying, and they expose it as wrong, you have one of two choices. You can repent and say, "Ah, I was in error. Let me correct that." Or you could do as Mister Fuentes has done, which is to double down, and that's what he did. So instead of just I'm a saying, victim, yeah, I'm it, a victim. He was doing that. He played victim status, but now he's gone. It's not just that he thinks Calvinism is useless and dangerous. He now says it's a cult, and there's been a bunch of people that have been claiming that uh, as well. Why don't you read the the comments? Uh, hang on, that we got? I'm, I'm kicking somebody out of the chat. Okay, who are you kicking out of chat, and why? Um, we can have the chat. That's fun. Uh, I don't. I came Schmal Union. Um. Okay. Yeah, he's gone. All right. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, I actually got it pulled up. I can pull it up here in the share screen if you want. Let's see. 
There we go. And here we go. So David, um, David John, how would you say it? Bentres says Calvinist or anti-Bible. Their mind can read words that are not there and fail to read words that are there. Hmm. And he, in quotes or in, in, in parentheses, he says, um, and apparently they do not know how to read. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. See, I didn't know how to read. And apparently they do know how to read, can't properly even read English much more than underlying original languages. That means they twist the Bible to fit their theology. I, yeah. I guess that's. I guess you can't read the, Yeah, you, I you, can't read that. Yeah, you so, can't. So, and then, and then we have we have things like this that pop up, and we got this one as well. Here's the definition of Calvinism: the gospel according to Calvinism. This is their what they. This is in quotes quote. For God so loved the elect that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever was unconditionally elected before the foundation of the world should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the elect through him might be saved. That's John Calvin three sixteen and 17. Um, well, at least he did more than one verse, but there's another... A uh, famous theologian that says, "Twist not Scripture, lest you be like what Satan." Yeah, yeah. So, um, with that, why don't we bring in the slick one? There Matt, he is. You know, I time. wasn't. I wasn't sure you were going to get in here because I was watching a, uh, a a discussion on your after show with a. It seems like a sinless perfectionist who it looked like you actually had her because because you got her to the point where you asked her if. She um, had ever sinned after Mostly getting saved, and she she was like, "Well, yes." And you're like, "Okay, then by your theology, you're can, you're da- you're damned." And, and, and then, how quickly she just wiggles. Differentiate between different kinds of sins. Yeah, so that doesn't apply to her. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't willful. It wasn't a willful sin. <laughs> and then. And then I went to Romans 7, where she brought up Romans 7, 18 through 25, where Paul sinned well, you know, he struggled. I, she brought it up. I went to it, and I said, does he sin willfully? Yes. Is it a, is it a deliberate sin because he's doing it by his own will? She goes, yes. Well, then you're saying he can't be saved. There's no longer, right? And you know what she did? I said, once she answered that, she turned her head down to camera and started doing something else, wouldn't listen. I go, you're out of here. <laughs> yeah, bye. Well, that, later. Yeah, that, you know what? She's just unteachable. Uh, she was obstreperous. <laughs> That's almost like uh, the, the uh, my debater from two weeks ago. Um, oh, really? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so you, you have the same the debate, thing going yeah. on with your Calvinism stuff too. Yeah, so. he 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 actually kept asking Justin, "Will you please close in prayer? Please close in prayer. Please close in prayer." And and so just before we close in prayer, I'm trying to correct him and explain why you know, like if you're going to debate, you need to know the topic of your debate. And he pulls his earbuds out, and so someone snapped a picture. Pastor Justin and I both have our heads down because Justin's praying, and and this guy's just looking at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> and then soon as yeah. soon as Justin says "Amen," we open our eyes. He puts his earbuds back in and starts talking. So yeah. it was pretty funny, in a sad kind of way. So so obstreperous twits. Yeah. So what we're going to do tonight is talk about Calvinism, and and I know Pastor Justin wanted you to come in, Matt, because you've been kind of dealing with a guy recently on on your radio yeah. show. Uh, that was hounding you about this, and we just figured it'd, it'd be fun. So let me start off with some definitions of terms, 
and and I'll, I will give now Matt has a different definition of a cult on karm.org than I do in my book, What Do We Believe? So mine's the shorter list, so I will go through mine while Matt looks up his, because his has like 19 points. <laughs> yeah, that's just, he's got 164 <laughs> points on it. So. <laughs> and, and, and what you're going to find is that all his points, I think, fit into uh, into mine. And actually, i, I got to look. I do have... Hold on. I do have a new a new definition. So so I heard I heard this for a definition for cult, Matt. Uh, this was new. This was from a secularist, uh, someone that was uh, in, in you know they call it bite control. So a, a cult by this was defined by bite control. Bite stands for behavior, information, thought. And emotion. So it's behavior control, information control, thought control, or emotion control. So what they're saying is that basically, and, and this does fit, that a cult is basically all about control. And, and that's the real goal of it, is control. And whether they're trying to control your behavior, the information you have, your thoughts, your emotions. And, and I actually thought that that was a pretty good way of, of summarizing it, you know, in one thing. Uh, as far as the, the definition that I have in my book, What Do We Believe?, there's five elements to a cult. Uh, first is authoritarianism. And authoritarianism is that you have a, a, a person or organization that sets themselves up as they are the, the ones that have the authority to interpret Scripture. So no one else but them. Uh, they are the authority. If, if you're not hearing it from them, you don't have uh, the truth. Second is Scripture twisting, which usually ha- happens when you get that authority wanting to make the Bible say it doesn't say, they, they twist the scriptures. They can't read it in context, things like that. The, the third one is going to be uh, isolationism. And so what they do is they try to isolate you uh, from, these, from any other group, uh, any other way of getting information. And the way they'll usually do that is by exclusivism. Exclusivism is that they claim they alone have the truth. So if you go outside that group, you, you don't have the truth. And that's why they, they can isolate you. So you're only hearing the same thing from the, it's basically get you into an echo chamber. So you hear nothing but what they're saying, kind of like Democrats in the media do, right? They don't want you hearing anything but what they want to say, so they, they isolate everyone by getting big tech to shut it off. The, the fifth is harm. Now, harm could be in several ways. It could be a physical harm. It could be a sexual harm. It could also be a spiritual harm. Uh, there, there, there's some form of harm, whether it's emotional. Um, in a lot of these groups, because of the exclusivity that they claim, what ends up happening uh, is that they end up um, feeling like they can't leave the group. And if anyone tries to leave the group, they feel like they've lost something because a lot of these groups will do love bombing. That keeps them in there. And so what you end up with is um, you end up having uh, people who typically within cults, one of the other characteristics of a cult, but not definition, would be a lack of integrity with language. Uh, they, they use words. This is sort of with the twisting of Scripture, but they use words and give it meanings that it doesn't really have. So those would be uh, my definition of, of a cult. Um, and real quick before I go to Matt, uh, Humble Clay is asking if I've been in touch with Sam Shimon for a debate. Uh, well, Humble Clay, if, if it was you who contacted me about debating Sam Shimon on his view of, I think it was Mary, uh, I responded and said, I don't know what his view is. Um, so I don't really have a reason to get in touch with him to debate him until I know what the issue is. So uh, Matt, what's, what's your definition there, Carm, for a cult? Cult is whatever uh, 
when you have a group that is like striving for eternity where you're trying to earn your salvation, <laughs> then uh, that would be cultic. Uh, that's sure. one definition. So, so Matt doesn't yeah. believe in sanctification. Oh, I believe in sanctification. I just don't want to strive to gain eternity. So, um, Matt, it, Matt, just do me a fair. Read, read. Uh, just help me out. Can you um, open to Colossians? Okay, well, let's, let's get serious. A cult is a group. <laughs> interrupt you. A cult is a group that exercises control over people and has aberrant theology to the point where uh, they can't be saved. And that's the basic definition. Yeah. If you have secular groups as well, that could be cultic. You can have atheistic groups that can be cultic uh, and cult theological perspectives. I believe that atheism is a theology, and that's another topic. And all secular movements are. But generally, generally speaking, cults restrict um, your access to others, other information, family members. They try and control where you are, what you can do. And uh, Christian-based cults will use Scripture, but they will twist Scripture like someone I just talked to a half hour ago, and bring a, bring a, a false understanding of something and then demand adherence to that false thing. And if you don't, you have temporal or and or eternal punishment. Uh, those are the kind of things that deal with the cults, yeah. Okay. Now, we did, before we get into Calvinism as a cult, um, I do have here a question that we got asked. And so, um, and and... Matt, this might be something that you would also like to weigh in on, but this is basically what the person said, sent me a message. Um, they had sent me a, a, an email through the ministry and then contacted me on Facebook for clarification. So Kevin asked this, I was the one that uh, suggested about witnessing to a universalist, which uh, only believes 80% of the scripture is God. Script, uh, in, uh, sorry, that's 80% of scripture is God inspired because I get up early in the morning, I don't have time uh, to go to the show live. So he's wanting us to answer the question. His, his question was basically, how do you witness to a universalist? Um, he's, he's been trying to deal with this with, I think it was a relative uh, or a friend. Sorry, friend, it says here. So uh, I guess the, the problem with a universalist, and I'm gonna, I'll let Matt chime in after, or, or Pastor Justin, or even we have, we have a guest here, Mike Stockwell is here with us. Matt, I don't know if you know Mike, but he's here. You don't see him unless I switch the camera angle. I'll switch it there. There's Mike. Fear God. Oop. What did I say the shirt says? Nothing else. Fear God and nothing else. Oh. He wants one of those. Yeah, that's a good verse. I'm coveting <laughs> that shirt. <laughs> so uh, I, I think the issue with a, a universalist, and for folks who may not know what a universalist, it's the idea that everyone goes to heaven. There's, there, there's the fact that uh, they, they want to believe that God, and, and the way they'll usually word this, Kevin, is you'll hear people say, well, my God wouldn't send anyone to hell. Uh, and my response to that usually is, that's right. Your God can't send anybody to hell because your God doesn't exist. <laughs> and, and the reality is when, when they're doing that, all you have to do in, in, in dealing with a person like that is just ask one question. Where do you get your information? Because they're not getting it from the Bible. As, as you said in the message, this, this person's only believing 80% of the, the Bible is inspired by God. They're not believing the Bible. And so if they're not believing the Bible, that's not where they're getting their information. And so, if they're rejecting part of the Bible, saying, well, that's not really inspired, they've set themselves up as the standard of determining and judging what is and what is not God's Word. Therefore, they are the standard. 
Yep. And so what you could do before you get into that is ask them whether they believe that what Jeremiah said, that the heart is deceitfully wicked, is that inspired by God? Do they believe that? Do that up front. By doing that up front, then when you get to the point of revealing to them that they're setting themselves up as judge, you go back to that verse and say, how do you know that your heart didn't deceive you? And now they're kind of stuck because they already said that that's God's word, and they've set themselves up as the judge. So that's one way of of dealing with a universalist. Matt, Justin, you guys have, or Mike, do you have other ways? They would deny hell too, right? They deny hell altogether, yeah. Some do. Some will say that people will go to hell and suffer for a while and then be saved, but universalism says that ultimately all people will be saved. There's some universalists who say that the demonic realm will be saved as well. But the problem is in Mark 3.29, and it's that I either do this to give you what the response is to explain what they do. And what you know, Mark 3.29, whoever sins against the Holy Spirit has committed an eternal sin. Well, hey, you know, Mr. Uni, it's an eternal sin, so therefore it can't be forgiven. Oh, Matt, but you don't understand. The word eternal there is ionios, and it only means an age. So it's just that age that it's unforgivable in. So when I go to Matthew 12, 32, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come, a two-age model, then they'll say, no, see, but it's the age after that that they can be forgiven. So it doesn't matter what you say, that's what they do. So they, they submit the scriptures to this one phrase ideology, Ionios, which is age, Ionios to an Ionion, age of the ages, which is how it's translated into the English eternal, without end. But the problem is that there are verses that's in Revelation which shows that God is eternal, where it speaks about him uh, forever. That there's certain things, like he has dominion forever, forever and ever, and it's uh, Ionios tone Ionion. And so I'll say, well, wait a minute. Why is it that God's dominion is forever without a, uh, end, and yet you say that punishment will be um uh, well, is temporary when it's the same phraseology that's used, and this gets, get, this exposes their prejudice when they come to the scriptures at this point. That's one of the th- major things. Okay, <clears throat> makes sense. Yep. What, was I too slick and quick? <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, Mike, yeah, do you want well, to add anything or no? Okay, Justin, did you want to answer that at all? You want? All right. Um, another one you can you can think about is when you when you're talking to an uh, uh, I said almost said atheist. Sorry. Is there a difference <laughs> when you're talking to a universalist? You know, it's close. Well, when you're talking to a universalist, you might want to consider um, asking them. You know, if they believe that um, there are judgments that are right. You know, if there are uh, principles of judgment here on earth that are right, would it be would it be right for for God to judge uh, a child rapist? Um, would it be right, right for God to, to judge a serial murderer or, you know, you can go down the list of of the most heinous of crimes and ask, is it right for God to judge that, that one, you know, and, and, and a lot of, a lot of people will, will concede that it's, it's, it's right for the worst of the worst, but they're not the worst of the worst and they don't know the worst of the worst. So then you have to, you have to kind of break it down by asking something along the lines of, um, well, if it's okay for God, who is righteous and holy, to judge what is wicked, then why is it that you're trying to set the standard above God? Because God himself has made the standard, and he's explained what he will judge 
according to his scripture. He's he's explained what he's going to do, and 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 for us to to try to stand over God as the judge over God of what He can judge. That's uh, that's pretty close to sin itself. So you might want to be careful of that. <laughs> All right. So uh, I see we. Uh, let's see, we have a, a guest in the background. I'll bring him in, equipping the saints. Uh, hello. <clears throat> What's your name? Rob Barnhart. You know oh, me, hey. Andrew. Sorry, I, didn't, I, I couldn't, didn't see you. How are you doing, Rob? Oh, so you had some good questions. That would be fun for Matt to answer as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of excited. And this is on topic, no less. So I'm trying to think through uh, predestination from Calvinism, from, uh, uh, for Calvinism, and and whether or not the eternal decree is linked with like predestination, election, and things like this, or if they're seen as separate, like you know what I mean, like they're they're each individual doctrines, or if you guys see them, um, as a whole related, yeah. Well, God's predestination is of the elect. So God elects. He chooses. Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us. He, the Father, chose us, the choosing, the elect, in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world that would be holy and blameless. So the election is there. And when you look at this verse, you'll notice that the election is a choosing, which necessitates that God, who is all-knowing from eternity, will elect the group of people for salvation that he will give to the son. And a lot of people say that he looks in the future to see what's going to happen. That's another topic. But when you go to Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, he chose us. He chose us. The word there is eklegamai. He chose us. God did the choosing upon us before the foundation of the world, before anybody would do anything good or bad, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. We'll get to the decree in a sec. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So, so election and predestination are definitely related, that God elects and predestines the elect. Now, you asked about the decree, right? Yes, sir. All right. So... Believe it or not, I actually was working on my notes on that very thing. Let me get to it on the decrees of God. And I need to go through and do some more research on it, but I was doing some some stuff, and here we go. Um, come on, where is it? Oh, I thought it was right there. Because there are things that people don't understand what decree means. And decree is an expression of God's will for direct and indirect effect. So he can directly decree something, let it be like, boom. But he can indirectly decree uh, when he lets people sin. But nothing can occur without the decree of God in that sense. It's the eternal plans of God, whereby before the creation of the world, he determined to bring about everything that happens. Now, I can expand on that if you want. Uh, I can. But uh, this is what is the basics of, of the decree is. And there are verses that talk about this. Um, and uh, I can go through them. I don't want to take too long. I don't want to get too far away from your, your exact question. And I think what I'll okay. do at this point do, is just... Ephesians 1.11. I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Do you see the... Um, um, you know, the, the future site, I forget what is the for that they uh, not, not predestination, but foreknowledge. Uh, is the foreknowledge something connected with from from a Calvinist viewpoint, something connected with the de, the eternal decree. 
Yes. But you understand what foreknowledge is. Because if you I, go to Romans 8.29. I'll, I'll save you the time. Assume that I know because you taught me. So, the, You know, the foreknowledge does not necessitate looking into the future to see what will happen. Correct. Right? Yeah. And that Romans 8.29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Yep. They're the same group. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, just, just not to, not to insult you back. Uh, feel free to do that because you're you're teaching other people. But always assume that I, I, I'm pretty familiar with these topics. I'm pretty well. Known. All right. Uh, okay. So I'm I'm trying to figure out how Calvinists see the eternal decree, the relation to foreknowledge, and the relationship from there from the predestination and okay. election. So you said that election and predestination are connected. Would you say that they are? Uh, I I agree. Would, would you say foreknowledge and predestination are similarly linked? Okay, I'm writing down. You want to know the relation of decree, election, predestination? What else? I'm sorry. Uh, right now, the the standing question is: Do you see foreknowledge as the same thing as predestination, no. or or is it something separate? It's separate because one thing, a prognosco, predestination, pro riz, uh, I mean, foreknowledge or to foreknow, and pro rizzo, uh, predestined, they're different. And how they're used in Scripture, and for those who don't know, God only knows believers. Get away from me, I never knew you, Matthew seven twenty three. That's the word gnosko. When we see God speaking about knowing people, it means it's a salvation relationship. So he says, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. All right. And so I give eternal life to them. And we have to be known by God, Romans, uh, excuse me, Galatians 4, 8. So that's what this means about knowing, gnosko. Foreknowledge is pro-gnosko. It just has the word for in front of it. Prognosco. And foreknowledge, by the foreknowledge of God, does it mean that God then, this is for people who don't know this topic, does it mean that God looks into the future, so to speak, and decides or and learns what's going to happen? That's one view, and it's heretical. Does God know what free will creatures will do in different situations in a foreknowledge sense from the eternal presence of God before the foundation of the world. And so in the foreknowledge, God just knows what people are going to do in their freedom. And it's libertarian free will, which is problematic for different reasons. But nevertheless, does God know that? Some people say, well, that's what God knows, what people will do. And so in that, there's a relationship between that and uh, predestination. That was, okay, so... So he's, there's a relation. So the, what there's, some are saying is that God knows, not looking to the future, but he knows what the future will, will maintain and, and will happen in the future, and those who will be saved, and so then he predestines those. The problem here is that it implies the idea that God's choice is based on a good condition in the person. That Under that condition, in that situation, God will save that person. That God's foreknowledge is that in a particular situation, that person will choose God. That's a problem because it shows partiality. It means that what is happening is that God is saving somebody based on the foreknowledge information that he has that they will choose him. That is a violation of Scripture, Romans 11, uh, Romans 
2.11, and also James 2, 2 through 4, that negates that. We can get into that. So that's one of the errors that people say about foreknowledge. Rather, it makes more sense from the Reformed perspective to say that foreknowledge is God's knowing the predestined simultaneously. There's not a temporal condition. He knows this, then because of that, he he bases his, his actions on that. That's more of a hint of a temporal priority. Nope. In Reformed theology, all of God's knowledge is eternal, and he doesn't grow in his knowledge. There's an infinite number of potentialities that could exist, and one actuality that he brought into existence. All knowledge about all potentialities are within his realm because they could only exist if he were to give them existence. So whatever actuality he brought into existence, logically and necessarily, he works all things in that actuality after the counsel of his own will, Ephesians 1.11. The foreknowledge is not that he will look to see what will happen or what conditions a person will do something and then choose them. That would be wrong. So foreknowledge really is not about knowing ahead of time in in that sense, but him knowing in a saving way the same group of people, the ones who are the predestined ones, because he's going to predestine them in Christ, term of federal headship, Ephesians 1.4. And that, that foreknowledge is his saving relationship with them, okay, saving relationship foreknowledge, saving relationship, with the ones he also is predestining, they're the same group. So he knows the ones he's going to save and then works the salvation out in real time through predestination. Well, well, I certainly appreciate uh, you going through that. Exactly, uh, if you could take a moment, I think I want to let you hit this nail a little harder. In in the view of, in view of faith, I don't uh, you said Romans 2 and, and another passage. I didn't quite catch it. Why, in your opinion, does that kind of serve as a problem for that view? Because, what's your name? First name? Rob. Rob Bob or Rob? Rob, yeah. Rob, okay, Rob. Let me ask you a question. Is there any good thing in you besides Jesus? Before you're saved, is there any good thing in you? No. No. So uh, let's just say that I come into an assembly and I'm rich. Oh, man, everybody knows that guy's so rich. Hey, sit here at the head of the table. I'm famous. Sit here at the head of the table, right? That's showing prejudice based on a quality I possess. But you see, in a human perspective, that's sin. That's James 2, 2 through 4. Someone comes in and find clothing. They have this. They have that. Sit at the head of the table. Are you not judging? And so that's condemned by God. He doesn't look at any quality that we have. So, Rob, you and I are in the same boat. We're sinners by nature, completely and totally. So what have we got? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. So he is not going to condition his election based on anything in us. Can I ask you a follow-up question real quick? Sure. What what if they pointed to uh, our having God's image as something good? Genesis 126, I was just writing actually on that today, the image of God, the communicable attributes and incommunicable. We are made in God's image in the sense that God has the attributes that we can participate in. He loves, we can love. He hates, we can hate. He thinks, we can think. That's what it means to be made in God's image. And there's more to it, but that's an oversimplification. So we're made in God's image, but sin has affected the image, the imagio Dei. Would you say it's obscured? I don't know. I don't know what the right verb is. I just say affected. 
Uh, well, I just know that from reading Genesis, I, f- I find it interesting that when Adam has his second kid, it says he's in made in Adam's image. So yeah, th- there just seems fine. to be something different you know, going on. That's fine. It's just the descendancy. That's all that's going on there. Yeah. But there was no descendancy with Adam. It was a yeah. direct creation. And we could say in a very loose sense, his descendant is God. Uh, you know, antecedent is God, but not in a biological sense, obviously. So would you agree with the following statement? Uh, foreknowledge of God is nothing else than God knows all things before they happen. No. Because God knows all things before they happen because he's decreed that that's what will happen. you got to think. If you have a, a, a sphere, there's an infinite number of little lines that come out from the center, different directions. This is God's knowledge about all potential existences, right? Yeah. He picks one. If he picks one, he knows everything that's going to happen in there. Now, let's just say people have free will, and they do. But what does it mean biblically? Does it mean that God won't know which color shirt they're going to wear today or tomorrow? Because if he knows and they can't, uh, he can't be free ahead of time. That's not what it means. People don't understand what that is. So, so in order for the statement to be correct, it would have to involve God's decree? Nothing can occur unless God has willed it to occur. Period. So you'd he have to say you'd have to say something like that first, and then you can say that statement right there for the foreknowledge of God is nothing else than God knows all things before they happen. Because foreknowledge is, is not causatory and it's not reactionary; it's simultaneous with the infinite knowledge of God. The foreknowledge, I believe, is the issue of relationship that God has with the saved, with the elect. Okay. Because it says those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. They're the same group, Romans 8.29. That's why I say that. Okay. So uh, you see uh, foreknowledge directly connected to the elect. And so you can't just say yes to that statement. Okay. In that sense, that's how God uses it in Romans 8.29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. They're the predestined. They're the same group, right? Okay, yeah. so, so Matt, you got a question that came up here. Sure. Jo- Josiah. Does God decree abortion? Yes. Now let's talk about what it means to decree. Now let me ask the person, does God work all things after the counsel of his will? The Bible says, Ephesians 1.11, also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So, does a person's abortion, is it worked after the counsel of God's will? The answer has to be yes. The death of my son, yes. My wife's Louise Dietz in her open heart surgery, yes. The fact that I just found out last week I'm diabetic, boy. Okay, all this after the decrees of God or the, the will of God? Of course. If anyone denies that, you're denying Scripture. So people make a mistake in thinking that if God decrees it, he's causing it. So I have to step sideways here and introduce a concept dealing with causation. Now, the reason I'm going to do this is because this topic and this kind of topic has come up before. And theologians through the centuries have discussed this, and they've raised certain issues, and they've come up with certain things to think about. 
It's not I'm making it up. It's not someone trying to get out of a difficult thing. This is actual rational discussion about the revelation of God. He know, we know that God works all things after the counsel of his will. We know that God knew Adam would sin. It's not a surprise to God. So what we have in levels of causation, we have what's called the ultimate, then the proximate, then the efficient. The ultimate cause of Adam sinning is God. The ultimate cause is God. When we say ultimate cause, we're not saying that God makes him do it. What we're saying is that God created the universe and the earth and the garden and put him in that garden. All right. So he's the ultimate cause that God brought the broad scope of things into being. The proximate, like approximates right next to it, the proximate causation would be God allows Adam and Eve in the garden, and he allows Satan to come in to deceive. And he knows this, right? He knows this. He knows that Satan, through the snake, will come in and deceive Eve. Now, God knows this. He knows all things present, even the open theist would admit to that. He knows the condition of the evil one in the heart and the fall. He knows this. God's not going, what's going to happen? I hope this, what's going to happen? That's not it. So he's the proximate cause in that he allowed the circumstances to exist in which the fall could occur. So Eve sinned first. She gave the fruit to Adam. We'll talk about Adam. And then he sinned. Did God cause Adam to sin? No. Did he bring about the circumstances in which Adam could freely sin? Yes. So Adam is what's called the efficient cause of his own sin. But God is what we would call the ultimate, and in this case, proximate. That your circumstances are arranged so that a sin could occur, but God's not forcing anybody to do it. So when Adam sinned, he freely chose to sin, no one forced him, and he rebelled against God. He, therefore, is his own cause of his sin, and we call this the efficient cause. So God decrees everything, and when we say decree, we mean that there's stuff that God does ultimately in all things, and he does it directly and indirectly. So he directly decreed that the universe exists, the garden is there, and he indirectly decreed through his permission, because it can't occur unless God permits it, and if he permits it, it's his will. And it occurs in the garden, so it's what we call his indirect decree that it occurred. But as far as causation, the free will person, in this sense, is the efficient cause of his own sin. Aren't you talking about the uh, secondary causes from the Westminster Confession of Faith right there? Yeah, it's like that, secondary causes. I don't read the Westminster Confession of Faith. I mean, I haven't since I was Presbyter- in seminary. What Presby- kind of Presbyterian are you? So let me let me do this. Not um, a very good one, I guess. Yeah, and and, and you'll just to, so you know, Matt, uh, Rob's, Rob is a Lutheran, so you, you'd at least feel good, you know, with your LCMS? Your, yes, your sir. Schooling. I went to an LCMS college. Yes. You ever heard of Rod Rosenblatt? Yes, sir. He was my professor. I know. <laughs> okay. I've yeah. been listening to you for a long time. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, no, no. Well, that, Rob, no, me, you're, a, you're a Lutheran heretic. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. We, 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 we put up hey, with Rob, you. Rob's, Rob's been in here, done a couple of debates uh, on, on Lutheranism. But, Rob, thanks for coming in. I'm just going to – we're going to move on to some other folks, okay? Did I answer you, though, Rod? Did I answer – you know? It does, it does help me kind of uh, – because I, I asked you literally the first 
statement of our statement on election. And so that your answer does help me kind of figure out where okay. we might like talk Different. about this issue differently. Okay. I'm going to show you something really fast before you go. You've heard me talk about Colossians 2.14, right? Yes, sir. Okay. The, Jesus canceled the certificate of debt, the sin debt. Would you agree? Yes. Does God's knowledge depend upon what people will do, or does it depend upon what he decrees will occur? What would you say? What he decrees will occur. That's right. So then it can only be, as it says, that he canceled a sin debt. Did he cancel for everybody who ever lived? Yes. If he canceled for everybody who ever lived, then you're accusing God of unrighteousness by saying that he will judge people to go to down to eternal damnation. But if there is no sin to hold to their account, then why would God send him to hell? It is eternal decree where he ordained that the people who would exist and that they would sin by his permissive will are the ones who have their sin imputed to Christ from eternity. Yeah, scripture says that uh, our our having a blank slate isn't good enough to send to heaven. Jesus says that unless your righteousness for far superiors the Pharisees, you will not see heaven. If, right, unless that's you not are relevant to this. It is though because no, it's not. I'll tell you why. Faith is necessary to enter heaven. So if somebody doesn't have faith, they can still be judged. I didn't say it wasn't. But faith, Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. John fourteen one. So it's a command to have faith, right? Yes. And if you don't have faith, it's a sin. Did he bear all of our sin? Well, this is where uh, we run Did into. Did he bear all of our sin? Yes. Then he bore that sin of unbelief too. It's paid for, so that sin cannot be held against him. Except that See, God's scripture. decrees work against you when you understand the eternal work of God. There is yeah, no but, mistake in God's economy. Yeah, but the word of God backs me up. Uh, really? Then how come you can't answer the question? If God eternally decrees and the sins were imputed to Christ and they're removed, and unbelief is a command, which God grants that we believe, Philippians 129. Agree. Okay, so if he grants it, then... If Jesus canceled the sin debt, you got to understand, the sin debt's canceled at the cross. We're justified when we believe. They're different. They're not the same thing. I hear to you. To cancel the sin debt is different than the imputed righteousness of Christ. They happen at different times. But Lutherans have an, an answer to this argument. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, they do. Okay. It's, I, I went more, to a Lutheran college. It's, it's, I didn't well, let's, stuff, so. let's, it's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, that can so, be forgiven in this age or the age to come. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is saying right. Jesus did his miracles by the power so, of people. repented hard in unbelief. That we're going to have blasphemy of the Holy Spirit I think what we need to do is get you guys both back. No, we can talk about it, but I think we need to get both you guys come back, and we actually should set up a formal debate that could be yeah, fun. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a discussion. I mean, he's nice, you know. Yeah. Actually, no, we can, you can have an informal debate. It could be fun. So, so. so what is the, the definition of is Calvinism a cult? Because well, I would disagree with the I would disagree with the premise. Yeah, well, see. I, 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 Christian cult or non-Christian? Yeah, so. You guys are not a cult. So. Well, see, and that's why, that's why I started with the definition of terms, right? Because. If you're, if you're just, I mean, if you want to say a cult is a sect of a group of belief, if you're going to be that general, then yes, the all, all, cult, all the right? Christians are a cult, right? Yeah. So it, it is important to understand the definition of terms. Now, there were, there was a time where people had defined a cult by just a group of people that had a, a belief system. But we now, when we use the word cult, we really mean it in a controlling group. And so... 
the idea of a cult, the way that many, I think, are using it with Calvinism, does not fit the definition of a sect of people. Otherwise, they're saying that they're a sect, because what are they doing? They're saying Calvinism is a cult, but their position is not. When they're saying that, it can't be that general definition, because they would be fit within that. Well, in order to... be a sect when you have to split off from your your church. I mean, well, mo- well a sect could be any group. Stay within a church with fellow Armenians sometimes. Well, yeah, but, but the idea I is go that to Calvary Chapel. See, yeah, Matt goes to Calvary Chapel, which, so which he's in a cult, and, and yeah. his and his pastor would be his pastor is anti-Calvinist. So, the, I mean, and that's that's actually a good example that I've been using a lot recently, Matt. Although you didn't know that, but uh, is is Matt goes to a Calvary Chapel church. Where his pastor, and, and there was a time where once his pastor was on the radio before him, and bashing. No, no, I got him on the radio. You got him on the radio, but he there was yeah. he was on the hour before you, and oh, the and, hour before, okay. and he yeah. was he was just doing a whole thing against Calvinism. And then Matt had a yeah, I found out Matt got a caller that calls and goes, the guy before you was bashing Calvinism, and Matt's like, well, that was my pastor. <laughs> now, <laughs> now here's the thing that you see with it: Matt preaches at that pulpit, right? I I used to. Yeah, and, and it's a thing where yeah. there's the respect there, even though the guy disagrees with Calvinism, he, you know, and so there is that, there is a working we can have with it. But in that general sect, sect of just saying it's a sect, a, a group of belief that have a belief, well, everyone has that. Every group can be defined as a cult if it's that general. And that's why I don't think that fits the, the way they're using it. I want to add something and really settle this. If he means cult is in non-saved, that's a problem. Because there are essential doctrines of the Christian faith that are re- re- that are actually decreed and or de- uh, excuse me revealed in Scripture, we can go right to them. Let me show you. Calvinism doesn't violate any of those. Yeah. The essential doctrines are the deity of Christ, the physical resurrection, justification by faith alone, monotheism, uh, and the, the nature of the gospel, and that Jesus yeah, is the only uh, way. Calvinists agree with that. And, Unfortunately, and, though, you got to keep in mind these guys have been in an echo chamber. A well, long, and that's time. and that's why. I, th- see, this <laughs> is the very reason though, because Rob. of the idea of God that you guys have that that would be why yeah. you guys. Well, Rob, this talk is about that. Rob, this but is why who has a more biblical hold, view of God. Hold on. So this is the reason, Rob. That w- the first thing I wanted to do coming in, and and I'm gonna we, we have a couple people backstage yeah, I want to bring sorry. in. I'm sorry. So, I just wanted to. You know, no. I told you I would be here. <clears throat> yep. No, I think I thank you for coming in, and I'm going to just put you backstage. Um, and, and Matt, of course, takes takes my thunder exactly where I was going, and, and just tries to slick his way in and answering before I get a chance to. Thank hey, you. I am slicker than you. Uh, only once when it came to buying meals, which is explains the, uh, the the intro that you didn't hear. <laughs> so, so here, here's the thing: when we look at the definition, they can't have this broad definition. What what a lot of these guys are saying is, you see, the the anti-Calvinists are saying Calvinists are are a cult. What they're meaning by that, as we heard in the debate two two weeks ago, is the claim that well, it is. You're not saved, and 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 my opponent actually claimed that he claimed I was not saved based on my beliefs in Calvinism. Now, That's ridiculous. When you get to that point, and and Several folks, times. there are there are people that uh, believe what's called high Calvinism, and what they would say is if you don't believe in Calvinism, you're not saved. Meaning you have to believe the doctrines of Calvinism, not the meaning of Calvinism that we'd explain when we share the gospel. Right, yeah. but the the idea that you have to actually be, understand and believe Calvinism to be saved, I would put that at the same extreme. When you're calling, and, and this is what Matt ended up saying, is when you when you call someone unsaved based on on secondary <laughs> doctrines right. 
then that is where what you're saying is they're a cult, meaning that you're you're damning them. But that that is a definition of cult that we don't have. That's a definition of heresy, and heresy is a false teaching. Now you have two types of heresy. You have damnable heresy, and that would be where you're where uh, believing in a false teaching that that is like denying the deity of Christ. That's a damnable heresy. Right. You, if you deny the deity of Christ, you have a false teaching that damns you to hell. That's different than than a a, a false teaching. Um, you know. Pick one, uh, you know, infant baptism. That's a false teaching. <laughs> yeah, right. that's okay. <laughs> Have we got the Presbyterian right? But like, you know, that would be something where Matt and I would disagree on infant baptism. But I don't say think Mar- that that, Matt, that Matt's not saved over that. Or charismatic is that doesn't mean that Matt's not saved over those issues. That Matt would think I have a false teaching. I think he has a false teaching. But we can still believe that each other's saved and have uh, have a relationship now. Romans, Romans 14. Mm-hmm. Do not pass judgment on your brother on debatable issues. Yeah. So I had a debate on Monday night on limited atonement with a Christian pastor. And we prayed together before the debate. And I was praising him during that debate. Hey, he's a good guy, this and that. And I would go out and witness with him. And that's it. We have more in common than we have apart. In fact, can I bring something up? I want to ask your guys' opinion on something. Uh, because I've had some experiences lately that have been rather disturbing. I was on Discord and I gave the gospel, and uh, uh, Christians attacked this. me. You did? Yeah, you I heard, heard you it. talking. Well, somebody sent me a link to your your live discussion. And you talked about it. Yeah, yeah. I got attacked by Christians. Those who follow Christ, they say, and it was a dog pile, vicious attack on my Calvinism. Because how could I dare do that if I'm a Calvinist? Give the gospel. And it really disturbed me. I haven't been on uh, Discord. I, I probably won't ever go. I don't know if I'm going to go back on. I, I, one guy wants to discuss justification by faith with me. I might go back for that reason and talk about it probably on Monday. But it was such a disturbing thing. Now, the reason I'm, I preambled that is because of what Jesus says in Matthew 24. The last days, all these various things are going to happen. And he says this in verse 12. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And because of what happened, you know, a couple, three weeks ago, and this verse, I'm having to re-examine my own issue of love, what it means to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and to focus on what we have in common, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. It's far, 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 far more important that we focus mm-hmm. on that than limited tome and eternal security, things like Correct. that. Correct. And I was wondering, what do you guys think? After having said all that, most people's love grow cold. Do you think that includes the Christians? Well, you end up seeing in Revelation that Christ will say that a church loses its first love. I think that I think that there is a case that you know. I think if you read anything, basically any book from Jerry Bridges, I mean any book, is <laughs> yeah. basically the same Be exact wonderful. thing. I mean, he he. You could sum up every single book of Jerry Bridges in, in one thing, preach the gospel to yourself, because that's really, that's like what every one of his books is about, because what he's getting to is the fact that we tend to forget from where we came. And, and because of that, I think that we end up not valuing as much what Christ did for us 
with with years of of unfortunately like with i'm saying years of maturity but it actually i guess is that really maturity or are we losing the maturity in a sense right uh but i i think there's there's a point that could be made there yes yeah, okay. I think you also have to consider that you have a, a theological level of isolation. Uh, you know, we go to seminary, we have our friends, we have our groups, and, you know, the, the idea of this is a cult or this is a false teaching or that is something that's aberrant, it, it gets ingrained in our minds. And so we look at somebody like a Presbyterian or, or a Lutheran or, or anything that's not us, you know, right. or Baptist, you know, anything that's not us. And they're the ones that are wrong, and they're the enemy. And instead of seeing, right. what I noticed, I noticed this happen when, um, uh, and it wasn't Paul Washer's fault, but I'm going to say, well, Paul Washer came to the deeper conference. When he came in, you know, he was like, you know, lightning and thunder. He came in, and it was just, it, it was amazing, you know, just listening to him and whatnot. And and it was like there was this instant divide. If you are, you know, possibly Arminian then, ugh, you know, you can't be that smart. You got to listen to Paul Washer, you know, oh, he's a great, you know, reformed brother and he's this, that, and the other. And and there was this division within friends of mine um, that it went to, to the point where, you know, oh, we're not going to go out and share the gospel with you. Well, what was the deeper conference all about? You know, what was it all about? It wasn't about, let's get, you know, doctrinally divided. It was about how do we get deeper into the word of God, studying the word of God together and going out and proclaiming the gospel and encouraging Christians to go out and do it. And, and that almost stopped that yes. almost stopped, put the brakes on it because n- now you have this doctrinal divide and everybody's worrying about all this and arguing over it rather than, Hey, let me get together with my Presbyterian brother yeah. and whatever and right. go share the gospel. You know, let me, let me use this as a, as a way of illustrating that uh, Matt slick and I we've debate and, and this is Matt and I've debated each other more than anyone else. Um, and a lot of different topics because we have a lot of areas we disagree because of our backgrounds and our, our way of approaching scripture, interpreting it. Uh, but it was interesting. Matt and I were on, on an apologetics cruise and we did a debate on covenant theology versus dispensationalism. <laughs> and it was, fun. it was, you know, one of the people said they noticed what, what Matt and I were both doing was I was answering against the straw man arguments that my side would have against a covenant theologian. He was doing the same thing with the way covenant theologians would make straw man arguments against dispensation. We were both defending each other's side from the point of those that would be on our side but make false arguments. And the thing was that we sat there and, and someone ended up saying they noticed that and they said, why is it you guys have so many different areas you disagree with and yet... You guys get along so well. And and Matt had a, a really good answer. His answer was, because Andrew and I both know we're wrong in our theology somewhere. We don't know where. Somewhere. If we did, we would change it. But we're, we both approach our theology knowing we could, that we're wrong in areas. And therefore, we're not prideful about the fact of, I'm right, you're wrong. If you disagree with me, you must be wrong, because I must be right. I think that was really insightful, because it really does answer the question, why is it that we can, I mean, We've debated infant baptism. We've de- uh, we've debated baptism several times. Um, we've debated covenant theology and, and dispensationalism several times. Gifts several times. We've done we've done several of these different debates. Why is it we can get along? Why can we be such good friends? It's it's very simple because we're not prideful about our theology. I mean, I recognize Union Matt Square. will agree with me Union when he gets Square. to heaven. You know, once Union he gets, Square, Union Square, yeah. 
What about we went to U Square? We've done open air Union Square together. We've done open air the Jersey Boardwalk or something like that, right? Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, I just think about, you know, like, you know, Mike Stockwell, you know, our brother's here with us and whatnot. You know, nobody agrees with him, but we all love him and and, and he's here with us. Who is this guy? Maybe I won't like him. You know, we're gonna no, take you that. won't like him. Nobody likes him. We will oh, okay. put up with him. He he won't even come over the house anymore. You know, we got food waiting for him, and it's all rotten now because he won't come over. <laughs> Obviously, I, I provide better food than you do. I guess so. It, it's, Especially it's if I the salmon. It. It's the smoked salmon. I just take the invite. Hey, brother, you, you come over anytime. Oh, <laughs> uh, so so. You know, let, let me because we got a couple people backstage, and I know some that'll probably take a little bit, may take a little bit longer. Um, let me do this before we get to some of the folks. I want to do something really quick because we, we the importance in the discussion is Calvinism a cult. We, we start with definitions of terms. So if you're going to take the definition that I gave, then you have to show how Calvinism controls people. And I don't think that's what they mean when they say Calvinism is a cult. When they're saying Calvinism is a cult, I think what they mean is it's a damnable heresy. So it's it's a wrong defin a wrong term to use in in the in just off the out of the gate. Um, now, when they say that it's a false teaching, you you have to support that with scripture. And here's the thing: I ended up finding, I find that most people, in fact, if anyone who saw the debate two weeks ago, you saw. My opponent, who could, when, when asked, I asked him five points, and I asked him all five points without using labels, what happened? My opponent believes in Calvinism. He is a Calvinist by the meaning of the terminology. But then, the second round of cross-examination, I asked him to define total depravity, unconditional election, limited, and he couldn't define any of them correctly. Now, that means he's fighting a straw man argument, but here's the thing. If somebody has a misdefinition of Calvinism and then says that it's wrong or it's a cult or it's even damnable heresy, the problem you have is that they're not fighting against what the real definition is. Now, granted, a lot of people have a wide range of views of, of Calvinism. Okay, you, you have some that are extremes. You heard Matt talking earlier with the decrees, and some people hear that and say, you believe in determinism. If you believe that, then you really need to listen carefully because he explained the differences there. And and I want you to note something I was going to point out, but Matt Matt actually did it for me, is when you listened to him explain the decrees earlier, what did he focus on? The attributes and nature perfections of God, who Amen. God is. And this is the mistake many people make when they're trying to define Calvinism, is they they are creating a God that doesn't exist, a God that's bound by time or knowledge. Okay? The reality is, like as Matt explained, it is not that God causes us to believe something because he decrees something. Or I, should, I use believe, but it causes us to use the example of sin. Sin. Yeah. So... Just because we do something doesn't mean that God decrees it but doesn't cause it, okay? Now, that's a distinction that some people don't want to listen to because they want to attack Calvinism. I understand that, but you have to be fair with what it actually says. So, one of the the key verses that I I brought up in the debate two weeks ago, Matt brought it up earlier, is Philippians one twenty nine. Why? 
because it's very clear that it says that God granted for Christ's sake two things, not only that you believe, but also that you suffer for, for, Christ, for his sake, for Christ's sake. So God grants, or as my opponent read out of King James, he gives belief and suffering. Now, some of that suffering is things we choose. That becomes an issue. Now, we're choosing that. That's not, as, as Matt said, God decrees it, doesn't cause it. So there is that. There was a question earlier that I saw about, does, did God uh, cause um, Judas to, to betray him? Well, he decreed it, but Judas, Judas chose to do that. Now, you, this, is, this may be an, a, a difficult thing for us to understand, but we have to understand that God is omniscient. He knows all things. He didn't learn a single thing. God never learned. Learning something takes observation. That's how we do things. We learn. We get knowledge through learning. God didn't have knowledge through learning. He just knows all things. He's eternal. Now, I would say that, that means he's, he's outside of time but works within time. So everything would be an eternal now to God. Meaning that, to God, he's, everything is happening at the same eternal second. He's, he has a complete knowledge of everything. Therefore, what most of the people have a difficulty with when it comes to these teachings are the fact of cause and effect, of how does God decree something without causing something? How can he know something before it happens in time without forcing it to happen? And that gets down to the question of the attributes of God. And that's why if you had listened to what Matt said earlier, he, he went through that. Now, let me, we got a couple people backstage. I'm just going to bring in John just because, well, John likes to, to put up, um, let, me, let me remove the banner here. John likes to just come in with, with names for each show. So that, that's how he, he makes sure that we bring him in. This week, he is the Calvinist cultist. So, uh, oh, no. This is a good show. Oh, don't My, don't worry, uh, Matt. We got someone worse backstage. We got someone waiting for you backstage. Yeah, I see him. Is, no, John's a good guy. He's a good. He's John, a good guy. I'm a Calvinist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he and, is not. Uh, you know, uh, let me just say this: uh, as far as the Calvinism being a cult and all that, I, I go to a a um, a church that is mostly just a. Oh, you know, community church. It's all it is, you know. And Matt, you've been there before too. And so, oh um, yeah, um, good church, good people, so good people, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, there there were a few people within that church that are completely anti-Calvinist. They are just bring me back rabid. up. And <laughs> but you know what? Because because of what Matt has has taught many times over and over and over was know the difference between your essentials and know the difference between your non-essentials in the faith. Once you do that, you're able to approach them with a much more loving way and to be able to say, hey, brother, you know, this is something that's just audiophora. It's just it's nothing. This is not a big deal. You know, it's not like you're denying the, the deity of Christ. Um, so... <sighs> What another thing too that I that I've always noticed was that non-Calvinists will always try to do everything they can to make man gooder, <laughs> if that's if that's a way of saying it. 
where basically they don't understand what total depravity really does mean. And they, they, they want to continue convincing themselves. I, I think anyways, that, uh, man is basically essentially good and that, you know, there needs to be a, a better understanding of, of our sinful nature. And what does that entail? I, I don't and, know about that, John. I think I think what it really comes down to is the way I explain it is the difference between what we experience and what we know theologically. So experientially, we chose God. Theologically, God chose us, right? Yeah. And so what you have is people that focus a lot on what they experienced, and they think that is what validates it. They know what they had happened to them. And what they mean by that is, I know that I had a time that I hated God, and then I chose to repent. And and so their focus is on, it's their experience that is interpreting. So as you, I know you've taken my course at the Striving for Training Academy on hermeneutics, right? And so what do I always talk throughout that? There's two ways of interpreting Scripture, by rules or by experience, Right, So what do you have by experience? People go, well, this is what I experienced. So now I'm going to look at Scripture and say, well, this is my experience. It matches with Scripture. Okay? That's different, right, than by saying, okay, this is the rules of how we interpret, and I'm going to use those same rules every time. And I think that's the struggle that people have. I mean, that was a struggle we saw two weeks ago with Mr. Fuentes, where, you know, when, when it was convenient for him, he wants to look at context. When it isn't, doesn't match up with what he wants the Bible to say, well, then, then it's a standalone verse, and we can, we can ignore all the context. That's the behavior you end up seeing, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I wrote something on the, uh, the little side chat, and I was going to ask you guys, would this be accurate? Uh, theologian, I'm quoting this, uh, theologians sometimes say that God is not the author, author of sin. The author of a book not only writes it, but he recommends what is in it. A publisher distributes a book, but does not necessarily agree with it. We may say in uh, that in relation to sin, God is like a publisher, not an author. Um, what do you guys think of that? I mean, I don't, as far as... I don't know that it's perfect in the sense because having a book that's been published... Yeah. I, so I've done a book self-published and, uh, and one through a publisher, and I can I could say this. Um, the problem with a publisher is they do control content, right? So even though I was the author, they edit it. Even even against my wishes, they edit it. <laughs> um, yeah. And so you do have that where, you know, you can have a case where though you may be the author, they control the content. So it may not be a perfect analogy. Okay. That was uh, actually from Jonathan, uh, John Frame from uh, Systematic Theology. So, uh, well, you know, he, he, he right. must be, he must be wrong because he, <laughs> he taught Matt. So being Matt's professor, he yeah. must be wrong. Well, John, th- yeah. thanks for coming in. Let me, I want to move on, uh, because we are getting, I think we have a couple people that may take a little bit more time. And I, I see this a gentleman, Mark, who keeps trying to connect in. I, I don't know if he, he may need to give permission to his browser. Um, and so, uh, just to get, tell him how to do that, though. Yeah. So when you when you come into Streamyard, what you want to do is you come in, and your browser is going to ask you for permission. And the upper left yeah. URL area. You, usually, right? it's a, yep. and and it'll ask you for permission to use your microphone and camera. So you want to allow that. If you've if you said no to that, 
Um, you may need to go into a private window and try it that way. Uh, or you may need to, I'm not sure on each browser, depending on what browser you have, what the instructions would be. So you might have to go and do a quick DuckDuckGo search on how to allow camera and microphone in, a, in that browser. So, Or go to your settings and just allow them or refresh the page. A lot of times that'll come in and ask, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'll also say, uh, Drew, I know you're, you sent, you're saying you sent me a picture on Messenger. I'm not seeing it. Um, I know you want I, me to put that. I, I'm going to send it to him. Okay. Yeah, I'll take care of it in the background. I want to read something to you real quick. It's from Edward Hopkins from 1887. Um, he wrote this. He says, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not that I found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. Thou didst reach forth thy hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. Twas not so much that I looked to thee, uh, thee to hold. Uh, yes, thou dear Lord, on me, I find, I walk, I love, but you, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee, for thou wert long beforehand with my soul. Amaze, always uh, thou lovest me, and the idea there is while. This man acknowledges that he was saved. He reached out to God. He cried out to God. He later came to understand that it was God who reached him first. Correct. And, you know, one of the best analogies that I like to, to ask people, do you believe in God apart from God exposing himself to you in any way? In other words, somebody gave you a gospel track. Uh, somebody, somebody uh, you have a Bible in your hand. You studied the scripture. In some way, did God send, send the knowledge of himself to you? Yeah. Well, and if that's the case, then you can't claim your own inherent knowledge on your own. Oh, I did it my way. You know, you can't do that. Yeah. Well, let me do this. Before we go, we have uh, at least two people backstage that are going to take the, uh, I'm going to try to get to one to the bottom of the hour, then one uh, will pick up at the bottom of the hour. So now would be a good time for us to just take a quick commercial break and let you know that this show is sponsored by MyPillow. And if you want, now I know Matt has himself on MyPillow. Matt, do you like your MyPillow? Yes. <laughs> and uh, so now what Matt may not have, Matt, have you tried the mattress topper? I have it. I love it. Yeah, that that is. I absolutely love my mattress topper from my pillow. That that's great. They, they, so if you guys want, you're you're running out of ideas for Christmas gifts for that hard to get person. A my pillow is always a great gift because everyone always needs a pillow. So if you wanted to get yourself a, either a pillow, the mattress topper, they have they have robes, they got slippers. I'm wearing a my my pillow, or they're actually called my slippers right now. They are very comfortable. Uh, enjoy them thoroughly and i usually would go through like a pair of slippers a year because i just i don't know what it is i must be hard on my slippers either that or i'm just too cheap and i always get the ten dollar ones dragged her feet yeah <laughs> so I, I i guess i'm hard on my slippers i just buy the real cheap ones but i love these from my pillow if you go to mypillow.com uh, and use the promo code SFE, that stands for Striving for Eternity. Use promo code SFE when you go to MyPillow.com or call the 1-800 number that we have set up with them, 1-800-873-0176. That's 800-873-0176. That gets you the discounts to use, and that also lets them know that you uh, 
found out about them through Striving for Eternity. And that uh, keeps them sponsoring the show, keeping us doing some of these things that we're doing. Now, with that, I, I want to bring uh, I want to bring Cole in, but I saw he walked away from. He just came back. Okay. Oh, I have something for you. Okay. This, for oh. everybody, is Rhett Vanida. Um, <laughs> Drew, Drew is the proud daddy of this brand new handsome young man. So and I and thought melts our heart. Here I thought he was sending us some picture about Calvinism. He's just a, pr- a daddy wanting to brag, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was a little worried there. He was okay. Yeah, he was a, he was a little worried there for a few days, you know, kind of blood sugar issues and whatnot. But he's he's at home now, and we just want to say congratulations. Yes. Uh, for everybody who doesn't know Drew, he's got his own podcast. What's the name of that podcast again? Well, it, it depends on the week whether he's on it, but it's matter of theology. But he's matter he's theology. kind of like on and off. He he comes on and says, "I'm going to go off because I'm going to do some other things," and then he's back on. No. So you never know. But matter of theology is pretty good. Let me, I'm going to bring Cole in. Cole, welcome to the show. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. And I'm going awesome. to show. You, I don't know. Phone. I didn't know if this would work on the would. phone. But I'm going to show Justin something. Hey, Justin, you see that? You see how Matt is on the lower right? Mm-hmm. Watch this. I just found Ooh, that out. I can sw- I can switch them around. So there you go. How'd you do that? You just click on the person to move drag them. Out. Yeah. So, all right. That doesn't nice. mean you should go doing it, Justin, because you'll you'll. I know now that I showed you that. I'll mess it up. Yeah. So, Cole, how how are you tonight? What, what questions do you have? I saw you com- making some comments uh, in the chat. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, still binging the, the content, catching the new stuff and whatnot. Uh, I got hooked up with somebody in uh, some biblical counseling, not Christian counseling, scare quotes. <laughs> I went through that once before or a couple of sessions that wasn't fun, but anyway, no, I, yeah, it was really interesting hearing you guys talk with what he was saying about, um, the, uh, you know, God's judgment on sin and whether or not it's for all sin or just a select few on sin. And I, what came to mind was double jeopardy, right? You can't judge, you can't judge something twice and right. Right. So, but there's that, and I think another way. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. This is I I was having this conversation with my pastor, and the the topic of um, uh, what's the there's a theory out there because there's all these really crazy crackpot uh, worldviews, and some people have a uh, simulation theory. But really, simulation theory, in a way, kind of works with what we're talking about because what we're talking about is say again one of them is solipsism but go ahead yeah well like in the best way to put it and i think of it like because i'm a i'm a techie a gamer geek whatever and i think of it like this where um you know the developers go out of their way they use words right world was created by the word right to spawn everything into creation a spawn is the word that we use in developing and in video games in particular it's like we don't you know but people when they go and they sit down they play a game they go through and they interact with the characters they're not complaining about whether or not there's good guys and bad guys they're just going through it because it's expected right everything is there for a purpose 
yet for some reason in life people want to do that very thing with god and they'll i mean not that people don't complain about video games because trust me when i go into the comment section or in different places like on discord i'm on discord but i like discord <laughs> people get mad when when they when their favorite games come out and then they're not the way they want people get mad at the developers but it's like that's that guy's artwork it's his creation to do with as he pleases and we understand that in our little bubbles but when it comes to something that is you know some we would have to answer to people get all heard about it um but yeah that was that was what i thought so, i really didn't have too many questions okay. i just want to say hey and you know thanks for doing what you're doing here because okay and well thank you if i had a question or something i would have popped it in there okay all right i'll put you backstage uh and and um, there's there's one more person that I see backstage. I don't want to say his name yet uh, because uh, he he was on camera, and I'm wait I'll wait for I'll wait for him to come back on camera. Okay, so he is here. I just want to make sure. So Matt, <clears throat> prepare yourself because you are going to have to speak to the doctor, Doctor Ed Romine. Oh man! <laughs> so hey, folks, how are you, Matt? Doing all right, Matt, brother. You, How are you? Did you know that Ed is now a doctor? Did you know that? Yeah, I know. Okay. Now he's rubbing it in. He's uppity. Good, now he has good. more degrees in the thermometer. So, yeah, uh, uppity yet still crippled. <laughs> so, uh, folks that may not know, Ed is Ed is a a good friend of both Matt's and mine. We've gotten to know him over the years. Uh, yep. Would it be Would it be right? You think Matt wicked smart? Would that be a fair? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I leave the smart part off and just go with the first part. Just the wicked. <laughs> I, I'm a row. I'm a rowing testament to total depravity. Yes. So <laughs> well, I thought that was uh, Andrew. Yeah, well, okay. well, see, but I'm not rolling. I walk. So, so let, okay, let me let me tell go. let me tell. I, I got to tell this story. This is my favorite story with with Ed. Okay, mm. Matt, you're just gonna have to picture this. We're we're in New York. Ed has a, a, a headset on. With, with wireless speakers, okay, so he's got a, a microphone. He is in, in this little area where there's like a circle where you could sit, and he's in the center in his wheelchair, and he's preaching the gospel, and there's this big guy that's getting angry, and he doesn't know who's preaching. He's looking around, and I, I was actually, I, I was on the phone at, the, at that moment, uh, and I'm like talking to someone, and this guy's getting angry. And I say, finally, turns, looks at the speaker, and he screams, "Whoever you are, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna punch you in the face!" And Ed just looks at. He's looking at the guy, and he goes, "You're gonna hit a handicapped guy." And, and the guy just suddenly turns, looks right in the center, and looks at the at Ed in his wheelchair with the headset on, and just starts making a beeline for him. And I'm like, I'm on the phone, going, "I gotta go." Click. I hung up, and I was I was actually talking to one of uh, Paul Washer's pastors, and I'm just like, I gotta go, and hung up on him. <laughs> and I go right up, and I'm like trying to cut this guy off, and I couldn't get there in time. And the guy walks right up to to Ed, and I'm like right behind him, and he gives Ed a fist bump, and goes, "Keep up the good work, man," and walks on. And I'm just sitting there like, "What?" So when Ed gets done preaching. I'm like, "Ed, what in the world was that?" He goes. Man, crippled people can get away with anything. <laughs> yep. The guy went from being yep. angry to saying, keep up the good work. <laughs> yep. So point in case, if anybody wants to be a really effective open-air preacher, just sit in a wheelchair. 
<laughs> there you go. Justin Peters does it all the time. No, he's yeah, he's on a scooter. It's totally different. Oh yeah, totally different. He doesn't have all the cuteness factor that I that I did. Uh, so. Hey, um, just to let you guys know b- before we all get ourselves canceled, um, I, I did come here with a uh, with a point to make in regards to the topic. Um, I I think that. Calvinism in and of itself is not a cult. I mean, I'm not one. But I do think that there are professing churches that hold to the doctrines of grace on paper, but they have cult-like or cultish tendencies. Um, Andrew, you and I have spoken of a particular church in Iowa quite a bit. Yes. Um, so, so like that would be an example of a of a professing congregation and pastor that would adhere to and and even talk about the doctrines of grace from their pulpit, but but their other practices cancel out all the good that could come of that. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's not always, they might agree, they might even agree with our position, and we might still say that they're a cult, because it's not, so I want to be clear with this, it's not necessarily the teaching that makes someone a cult, it's some. It's the behavior, so, mm, so yes. you might have a teaching that's orthodox in most ways, but then you have this behavior where you control people. And you have certain teachings that you use to control those people. That would then make you into the definition of a cult, right? Well, if you think if you think along the lines of, you know, I believe in total depravity, but it's obvious. Look at Matt Slick; he's just depraved. He's this and that. And I'm not playing around. I'm being serious, and and I'm talking about. Look at him; I'm so much better than him. What it's saying is I'm inconsistent. I'm, I don't understand the actual teaching. And I inconsistently apply it. I look at myself, even within the congregation. I'm better than my own congregation. I can. I, I need to lord over them. I need to stand over them. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it can happen in any group. You know, I've seen it in Arminian and Calvinist. So, everything yeah. in between. I mean, look, I've had plenty of people that have said Arminians are are not saved. They're a cult. And I've seen plenty of, but I, you know, I've seen plenty of Arminians say that about Calvinists as well. So, in both groups, you have the same pride issue. Now, Matt doesn't have that issue because he's very proud of his humility. He says it on the radio often. Extremely. I figure I might he's as well be humble. I'm gonna, since and he I'm beat me to my, my... proud about my humility daily. Yeah. It's I mean, so wonderful. I have to beat him to his line before... You know, he already stole mine earlier, so... What? You, you stole... You, yeah, like I was making a point earlier, and you jumped in, interrupted me, and then said exactly what I was planning on saying, so it's... <laughs> I figure I might as well take your line quickly before you get a chance. <laughs> In front of my humility. Bill McKeever is what who taught me that one. Oh yeah, we had Bill McKeever on last week. But I, yeah, but I have said, to admit, yeah. I'm the most humble here because I'm not even on the picture until now. Well, you now go. you're on the picture, so now you're not humble. <laughs> but I can control that. <laughs> oh, he's humble again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, I, 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 well, I will put this thing up here because this was pretty funny from Melissa. She says, quote, Justin Peters does it all the time, unquote, made me spit my tea across the room. <laughs> so see that, Ed, you have the, you have the ability to make someone spit their tea across the room. 
I'm glad. I'm glad. So, so uh, Justin and I have an understanding that far surpasses most other human beings. So. There you go. Yeah. Well, you you both have the same. <clears throat> you know, you both of you have cerebral palsy. Yep. Um, yeah. Which, which, you know, now I think Matt, you, you know, I, I, I think actually, um, Ed, you're the one that told me this, but <clears throat> I think when you used to call Matt's program early on before he knew who you were and really got to know you, and because of your cerebral palsy, you, you, it affects your speech, and he used to think you were drunk, and I, I remember you telling me that he actually asked you on the air once, and you had to explain that he had cerebral palsy, and that he felt really bad. <laughs> Well, it wasn't on his radio show. It was oh. in an old pal talk room. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We get a lot of wackos there, and, and he came on, and I was I was a little confused because he was smart, and he's getting it, and yet he had this speech problem. I thought he might be drunk. I just asked. He goes, oh, yes, sir. I went, oh, okay. No big yeah. deal. I still like yeah. him. Yeah, but, of course, I give him a hard time all the time about it now because yes. uh, I met, well, I met Matt before I started my MDiv, which wow. was in 2013. So, Man, we've, so known we've known each other too long. Other for a while. What's that? I said we've known each other too long. Yeah, yeah. just imagine till the end of eternity, then how you would you feel. <laughs> Oh, it's well, going to be wonderful well, putting all of us together. Yeah, but by then, Matt's going to have his, his all of his theology right, and he's going to have it set up That's right. right. There we well, go. By then, right. I will have it. I he'll will. Be dispensational. All right. It'll be okay. It'll be so great. let me let me do this. In the dispensation of eternity, right? Melissa, Melissa Lex, uh, who is from uh, Thoroughly Equipped Podcast. That's one of the podcasts at the Christian Podcast Community. Uh, if you want to go, just go to ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Uh, go under shows and you'll find her show. But she asks a question here, Matt, uh, and someone else wants that, this to be answered. Uh, did anyone talk about the claim that Calvinism is a form of Gnosticism? I keep having to address this on Facebook. So let me first define Gnosticism uh, and, and how people are trying to make this correlation. And then I'll, I'll put this out to you guys as well. Uh, the Gnosticism is a first century teaching that ba- basically the teaching was that they had, those that were Gnostics had an enlightenment. They had a, a greater knowledge than other people. <clears throat> they One of the things they, they would teach is that anything physical was, was bad, but anything uh, spiritual was good. Um, so that allowed them to do some things like sleep with prostitutes, as long as they didn't give their body, as long as they didn't give their spirit over to it. Um, so you'd see them have some beliefs like that. Now, what, what we end up seeing with that is uh, there is the idea of this higher knowledge that they had. Now, some people claim that Calvinism is similar to that in the sense that we claim we have a higher knowledge than what the Bible says, um, and that somehow uh, this is a form of Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism, in simple, is a pride. It's this, it's the pride no different than any other group that I know something you don't know, and I feel I'm more superior. And if you don't understand it, you just don't know what I know. I'll give some examples in in several different areas, so you realize I'm not picking in one specific group. Uh, I did. I was a moderator for a debate on charismatic gifts. The person who supported the position that the charismatic gifts continued said. If you don't believe in the gifts, you can't understand the Bible. That would be the same thinking that some people would say with Calvinism. Uh, you, you'll see 
I remember talking to a pastor who uh, said that if I didn't understand, if I didn't believe in the King James Bible and that alone uh, to interpret, that would even interpret the Greek or Hebrew, if I didn't accept that, then I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't understand the Bible. You end up seeing it in a lot of other areas other than just Calvin and Arminianism. And I would say there, there's some Arminians that you can make the same claim that they would say that they have, if you watched the debate two weeks ago, you see a guy who says that he gets to decide when context matters or doesn't matter when reading the scripture. He's going to decide with if there's verses that he claims are standalone, you don't have to read the context around them. Well, we're not understanding the Bible because we're not understanding it the way he's reading it. And so yeah. I want to just point out that this idea is in all of us, this idea of we, we have a pride issue, and all of us are susceptible to that. And so when people say this, and I, I think Leighton Flowers is the one that's been, been making that claim, and, and I'm saying this as someone, Matt and I both know Leighton. He's, he's a nice guy. We disagree with him theologically. I disagree with how he goes about <laughs> interpreting Scripture. But the point being is we can get along. And the, the, the fact is that when we look at this, we have to recognize that some people don't have a check on their pride. And that allows them to think like they have a superior thinking, they're enlightened, and everyone else is wrong if you don't agree with them. I'll, I'll just say, go back to what I quoted from Matt Slick earlier uh, when we had that debate. Why is it Matt and I can disagree on so many things and still get along so well? Because, as Matt said, we both know that we're wrong in our theology somewhere, we just don't know where. And we could joke about the fact that we both think we're right and the other's wrong. We joke about that. But we both are not going to exclude one another. So, so that would be my answer to the, the is Calvinism like Gnosticism. I'll open up to you guys uh, how you want to answer. Matt? Justin? Matt, I'll let you go for it, brother. Oh. Yeah, the important thing is Christ crucified. That's what we preach. Colossians, I mean, First uh, Corinthians one twenty three, I believe it is. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Paul taught predestination. Paul taught election. That's where we get our stuff. Is from that. Uh, and uh, but the goal is to preach Christ and Him crucified. It's the power. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who would believe. For the Jew first, and the Gentile second. Romans one sixteen. So we're to preach the gospel. So when. When, uh, for example, when we were at Union Square, uh, Andrew and I were open air preaching, uh, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, whatever it was. Um, More than that. We just took turns. Huh? More than that. It was probably like seven years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. But we just took turns. You know, he preached for a while, then I'd preached for a while. And we both preached the same thing. You need to believe. You need to trust in Christ. Uh, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. We preached Christ and him crucified. The only thing I won't say since I, I became Reformed when I'm preaching and teaching about that is to say Christ loves you or specifically because the Bible says he, he hates the sinner. And so I have a little trouble with that. But I, I say I won't say he died for you. That, that's the one statement I won't say. I say. He won't die for you. I say he died for sinners. And I move on. That's yeah. all. That's the only difference. Well, let me, Melissa uh, asked the follow-up here, um, and now just scrolled off the page. Here we go. It's not Gnostic. Yeah, we so, don't have, a, a, we have yeah. knowledge that's derived out of Scripture, not essential, not some Gnostic idea that you don't yeah. have outside of Scripture. That's why whenever I debate this stuff, I'm teaching, I'm going, the Bible says this here, the Bible says yes. this here, let's go to here, let's go to here. That's what I do. And, and so, there's so, thing oh. in regards to the question there? Yeah, go ahead. To, to one that I just so, put up? 
to the one that you asked, asked. Okay, about go for it. Calvinism yep. Gnosticism. So I would argue that the whole point of the Protestant Reformation was to go back to the simple teaching of Scripture as our final authority in life and practice. And with with Gnosticism, this idea of secret higher knowledge, Mm -hmm. I, I think you find that in medieval Catholicism, in, yes. in the doctrines of, of uh, purgatory and, and you know, uh, when a coin in the coffer clings a soul from purgatory springs, like yeah, that in and of itself is higher knowledge. Yeah. Yep. And, and just the mirroring of, of Freemasonry to... Uh, the old Catholicism. I think you can make some parallels there. Well, you can. Uh, the Ma- the Masons have their own Masonic Bible. Yep. That uh, so I would argue that Calvinism is the antithesis of Gnosticism because of the Reformational teaching of Sola Scriptura. Amen. Yeah. And, and, and you know, yeah. if you think uh, oh, one thing, I'll, I'll just say real quick is when you have you know people say that Calvinism is anti-gospel, anti-Christo, and uh, anti-Bible. They don't read the Bible in context and things like that. Um, you know, you you have people say that you know Calvinism is 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 Gnostic, and and that, you know I saw here that you had someone saying asking about the um, you know uh, going Augustine going back to uh, yeah I was going to bring that up yeah I was going to bring that up. yeah. Yeah. So, so what you have to do is, th- is think about what is Gnosticism in its in its uh, best terms. It's secret knowledge outside of God's given revealed word. Okay. Now, do we have secret knowledge in the sense that God gave us the word? Yes. But it's a word that was given to all men for every person to be able to read and come to know God and study his word. So it's not secret in the sense that 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 no one has it. But the straw man here is oh, you are a Gnostic because you know something that's not in Scripture. No, we don't, we don't look to Andrew's book, you know, what, what do we believe or what do they believe, and say, oh, that's the divine truth that nobody else has, and we have extra biblical truth. We have the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. That's not a Gnostic uh, issue. It, just because we come to an understanding, a scriptural and biblical understanding, of what uh, Augustine, John Calvin, Paul the Apostle, Jesus, and John, James, and all the others wrote. And, you know, if we go back, we look at Calvinism, and you, if you study it, and you look at the history of Calvinism, they, don't, they didn't just look at it and say, oh, John Calvin, okay, we're, we're done. No, they went back and said, what does Scripture state? Yeah. You know, as, as Ed said just a minute ago, sola scriptura, what does the Scripture state as, as adverse to what do the Roman Catholic and Pelagian Arminian uh, Roman Catholic state? And that's where that came from. So just so everybody has an equal playing field there, you know, this stuff, you have the reformers and the Anabaptists who came away from and, and walked away from the Roman Catholics. You had the Roman Catholics who, who had a, a, a friendship with the Arminian Pelagian uh, uh, side as well. So you have to be careful when you start throwing around Gnostic and, and terms like that. Well, people yeah. sometimes throw terms around because that just eliminates some things. Let me, Ed, you were going to say something? 
Yeah, and even the segue into something else I saw into the chat, like the whole uh, Mormonism debate between. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll we'll bring that up maybe next week. We might. I I said in the private chat that we might have to. That's a that's a bigger discussion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have to go watch it because I didn't even watch it yet. I I would argue that Mormonism and the teachings of uh, Luis de Molina. Is very gnostic. Yeah, I would. I would actually argue, and I guess yeah, maybe we'll do this as a topic for next week. Is is the the white uh, the debate on that uh, William and Craig and James White? I would argue this, and I've talked over this over with Matt, and and I know he he agrees that you know a lot of what Molinism is trying to do is to try to argue that Calvinism is determinism. They want to get away from from determinism and so what do they do they they have a system focused on free will to the extent that what they they actually do is back right up into determinism uh, i had um a, a debate here uh, and i forget matt that his name he was a friend of yours you introduced me to him but uh, we had a debate some time ago on here on molinism and i asked the guy can we choose anything once, so Molinism is this idea that God knows everything we would choose based on our free will, looking at all the options of the, all the worlds that could exist. He chooses one that gives him the most glory, but we have, but we have the will. It's our free will. Uh, but I ask, once God chooses something, can we do anything other than what we, we would have chosen in that world? And he goes, no. And I said, then God determined it. I, I mean, that's the ultimate determinism. But let me, let me try to get... I was going to ask you that. <clears throat> I was I was I was just about to ask you that. I was going to say if what you're saying is right there in the question part, doesn't that mean that if if God looked down and saw what you would do, doesn't that mean that did God determine it based on what you were going to do, and therefore you you don't have that free will? I mean, God's willing to permit it to occur. He's deciding that He wants to permit that very thing to occur. Yeah, I was I was just about to ask you that, yeah. Andrew. That, that that's that's amazing. <laughs> so. Um, so let me let me. I want to try to because we have like twenty minutes left. I want to wrap up some of the stuff that we have here. So M- Melissa Lex uh, ends up asking, and and Melissa, you should just come in here so that we can, you know, you could talk to Matt, and you know, then Matt could find out more about your your uh, your podcast, thoroughly equipped, because he would like your podcast. Uh, so I'll plug it right now. Thoroughly equipped is a a podcast for women's Bible studies, Matt. Um, now wow. here's the thing. When, when, well, here's the thing. When we first heard that, I read the thing and went, "Oh, women's Bible studies are usually bad." And so I was like, "This is probably not one that we're going to accept." And then we started listening and realized, "Oh no, she's criticizing <laughs> all of the women's Bible studies and giving biblical answers to what what are in these studies and reviewing some books." So, really good stuff that she puts out. Good, praise um, God. So she says, uh, somehow claiming Augustine got the teachings from Gnostic background. And so that's what she was saying. Well, we, we have example of it because um, Josiah here, who doesn't seem to like Calvinism much, is saying Gnostics were big on special election. Augustine had to jump back through the roots of Gnosticism to bring his theology into the church to argue uh, against uh, uh, Pelagian. Pelagian. Uh, th- what this is what is argued. Now, here's the thing. Um, so, so let's let's see. Notice what Matt did. Notice what I did two weeks ago. When when people make the claim, well, we believe this stuff because we get it from John Calvin. Uh, 
I read Calvin's Institutes uh, 30 years ago. I don't remember much of it now. Uh, I've, I've used his commentaries once in a while. I don't base anything on Calvin. I don't worship Calvin. I don't, you know, so you get it from August. I got a lot of stuff from Augustine. I've read some of his stuff too, but I don't actually look at that. What was I doing in the debate? What was Matt doing when he had the discussion? Quoting scripture. The Bible. When, when we say that we believe that God grants belief, we believe that because that's exactly what Philippians one twenty nine says. Now, and like I said in the debate, you know, and they're saying about election. Well, okay, well, where do we get the idea of election? We brought that up with with in Ephesians. Um, Brought up the. So, you know, Ephesians, where it says that we are elect before the foundation of time. Now, is that Augustine putting that into the scripture? No, that's Paul putting that into scripture by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I, I had a guy. A sinless perfectionist who told me that I am a I believe in heresy that I'm a Calvinist and I said what exactly makes me a Calvinist? He read my doctrinal statement and it said that we are elect before the foundation of time. I said, well, that's Ephesians one four. If that makes me a Calvinist, then Paul and in fact God must be a Calvinist. You, you see, that's that's the whole thing is what we end up seeing is that we're, we're getting it from Scripture. The issue is the Arminian or, or non-Calvinists, because they're not always Arminian, are going to say they get it from Scripture too. The issue is, how do you handle the Scriptures? Okay? How do you come to the conclusion? We cannot look at one side of the argument and ignore the other. You didn't see Matt ignore choices people make, right? But that doesn't mean that God didn't decree it. Right there's a, he made that distinction there. This is the thing. I, I the way I explained it, the way I explained it in the debate, and I think this seems to really help a lot of people in this area and this discussion. I believe that when we look at who wrote Ephesians, we would say Paul. But really, okay. Well, we would say God. Well, who wrote Ephesians? Well. It is a doctrine in inspiration that we look at known as superintending, that God works through the human author so that even though he wrote of his own choices, he wrote exactly as God intended it to be. So what you see is that Paul writes different than Moses, writes different than Peter, writes different than John. They all have their own style. They have personal things they're going to ask, they're going to write down. And and so <laughs> what, we, what we end up seeing there is we have, with that, God working through the humans so that God gets 100% of the credit. He's the one doing it, and yet people are choosing what they're choosing. Well, we see that in inspiration. How about sanctification? Do we do good works? Well, you might say yes, but really? No, we don't. It's only because of what God does through us that we can do good works. So it's the same doctrine of, of superintending there. God works through us so that the very choices we make are exactly as God intended them to be. Therefore, that doctrine is there. I take that same doctrine and apply it to regeneration. That God can work through us, so even though we think we're making the choice, yes, it's, we're making a choice, but it's only because God intended that to be. So God gets 100% of the credit, we get none. Just like in Scripture, just like in sanctification. And I think that really resolves the issues that people see when it comes to the, these things. And this is why you can have Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10 right next to each other. And so, I the the one encouragement I want to try to give 
with this as we discuss this Calvinism occult. You know, we, we get this a lot from some folks. My my issue would be this. Just consider, I mean, consider what, you know, what Matt, we, we mentioned Matt said earlier. You know, just consider that all of us, every one of us is wrong in our theology somewhere. We don't know where. And we, we shouldn't be so prideful and arrogant about our theology. In fact, someone might say that Calvinism is Gnosticism, and they don't recognize their own pride in their own theology. So, that we have to be mindful of that. Okay? That, that's one thing. The other thing we have to do is realize that, that we got to look at this and not have a closed mind to it. We have to examine how someone else is making their argument. One of the things you saw two weeks ago in the debate on Calvinism, Calvinism is useless and, and dangerous, my opponent was not listening to what I was saying. He had a monologue. He wanted to, he had conclusions, and he was rambling on. If you want to see examples of that, just listen to Matt Slick live five days a week, and there's usually one caller a day that is like that, that just starts ram, trying Today. to, yeah, rambling well, over that. That was the after show, but yeah. Yeah. So what what it is you get people like that and they they're not listening and you can explain it to your blue in the face but they're not going to listen because they don't want to hear. We don't want to be that kind of person. Yeah, how would you guys I think this would be a good question to do a whole episode on. How would you guys encourage people to be better listeners? What are some practical ways in which one could do huh? that? What? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, don't be like Matt. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> he wasn't listening to what you said. It's true. It's true. Don't be like me. No, but but I mean that would be. I mean seriously. Pay attention. I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned this in the post debate. What did you see me doing during the debate? My head was down, taking notes. I mean, I've seen Matt prepare for debates i've seen him when you know we've we've gone to a debate where it's an in-person debate and and matt is sitting there with pen and paper same thing taking notes on what's being said okay my opponent wasn't doing that because he 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 didn't take the time you you, first thing is you got to realize that your opponent may have a good point he may actually be right and if you if you don't accept that then you're just closed-minded the other thing is pay attention to what they're actually saying not what you think they're saying I've had so many times, and, and Matt, I'll, I'll mention a name. You're, you'll love this name. Heidi Carrico. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I did that just to get the reaction. This is a woman who about 10 or 11 years ago was telling me what I believe. And I'm yeah. like, but I don't believe that. She goes, yes, you do. I'm like, go read my doctrinal statement. It's been out there for years online. She goes, you're hiding your real beliefs, right? <laughs> it's like, you can't reason with a person like that, okay? And so there is a point where you just walk away. Yeah. But the, the thing to do is for each of us is to recognize that, you know, we, we can be taught. I can be taught even by a guy like Matt Slick, okay? Yeah. So. <laughs> it shows that. you're totally depraved. <laughs> no, but so, all, all of us so can learn thing, from one oh, another. Go ahead. Okay. Another thing you can do, uh, thinking about learning how to be a better listener, is when somebody asks a question or makes a statement uh, to show that you're engaging and to make sure that you understand the question, uh, Andrew did this. And actually this is why I stepped into the debate uh, a few weeks ago 
uh, several times because I wanted to stop the debate and make sure the question was understood. So I restated the question. I restated it so that it could be answered. Um, so I'll give an example. Uh, Matt, you talked about solipsism and a, a little while ago, and I remember you saying that solipsism was was a was a biblical truth that everybody needs to hold to. Is is that right? Is that what I heard you say? And then you give him time to answer. He's going to say, absolutely not. I did not say that. Okay. But my, my point is, is to show that I'm listening. I'm repeating back what he says. And if I'm wrong, give him the opportunity, give her the opportunity to say, wait, that's what I said. That's not what I said. And, and so that way, because look, when you have people come in, oh, I want to debate, but they don't want to deal honestly with what your actual argument is or your discussion is. They don't want to hear why you believe what you believe. They're being disrespectful. They're dishonoring God. They're dishonoring you. They're not worth the time. You know, uh, James White said it to that Vuentes guy. You, why would anybody want to b- debate you? He proved that he's he's right. Uh, he proved that that Fuentes uh, should never be debated because he doesn't respect the person he's debating. Or so when you respect somebody, you want them to answer. So now I'm going to ask again, Matt Slick. I believe, brother, you said something about solipsism, and I may have misunderstood. I thought you said this. Could you please explain it? That's the way to do it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're asking me a real question, or you're just, that's just an example? No, really, no, I'm good. I'm good. I just I just threw it out there. Just doing it as an example. Yeah. So yeah, as an example. So I think I think what we could do next week, uh, you know, we'll, I, I think it would be good to go through uh, the Molinism debate uh, between James White, because uh, Matt, I think you said you wanted to touch on some things with that too, uh, which which will be good. Uh, it's yeah. just James did a, bit, did a better job because he focused on scripture with Craig focused on philosophy. Yeah, but see, that's a big topic to also un, un, unpack because there's a... We can get into it. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there because when people do apologetics, that, that's how a lot of people will argue. Um, you know, so uh, Mark is asking um, a question uh, from my from the debate two weeks ago. Uh, what can you say about RA's claims that there are standalone verses and he can still explain a text without the context, which is contrary to the claims of his colleagues that context is the enemy of Calvinism. I I actually find that to be really interesting that all of his colleagues are saying that the context is the enemy of Calvinism, and in the debate, uh, R.A. Fuentes had to ignore the context um, of the passages and, and had to argue that they're standalone verses because the context didn't support what he was saying. I, I would argue that the context, as was proven in the debate, was the death nail for R.A. Fuentes' apologetics, because what you ended up seeing is that he could not handle a verse in context, because it, because it undermined what he was... I mean, even when we did Philippians one twenty nine, what you ended up seeing is he cut it in the middle of a verse. So it's not just standalone verses, it's standalone words, he wanted to say that God has given us for Christ's sake and stop there. He, he was saying that there's a hard stop. And I was like, no, what, what is it? What's the rest of it say? And he didn't want to finish reading it. Right. Yeah. That's what you end up having. So, so no context was the death knell for, for R.A. Fuentes. Now I'm not saying to those that hold, you know, to non-Calvinist views right now, notice the difference with what I did just there. Okay. I'm not grouping everybody who disagrees with Calvinism into the argument that one person made. 
and in fact, Mark, by your by the question you asked, you recognize his colleagues are arguing for context, which he was not. So one of the things that folks that were in his camp that are arguing that we're uh, those of us that are Calvinists are cult, what are they doing? They're throwing everybody into one group. And that's the thing that it, it, you want to be careful of, uh, Ed, with what you said, what we should, you know, how can we learn from this? We've we got to be careful not to throw everybody into a group, not right. to claim just because someone else says this. And, and that this came out two weeks ago in the debate was I said something and he's like, well, this is what Calvinists believe. I said, well, you're not, deb- you're debating me. <laughs> you should have taken the time to understand what I believe because yeah, I'm the one you're debating. Debates. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, if it was, it was like I was just saying. I want to know what, you know, Andrew and Matt and, you know, whoever I'm talking to, what do you believe? I want to know why you believe it, because, I mean, I want everybody to face the fact that you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, how did you treat your brother in Christ? You know, how did you treat them? Did you respect them or did you mistreat them and dishonor them? Were you were you uh, giving a character of yourself that is unbecoming of Christianity? Because what I've seen on Facebook, this is why I got off Facebook, you know, is, is just character that's not becoming, becoming of Christians. And it's just, I think it's, it's, it's reprehensible when people say, you know, uh, uh, well, you don't believe exactly as I believe. You're not a Christian or you're this or you're that. That's awful. Yeah. So, you know, that's the thing that we want to we be careful with. Uh, so I guess what we'll do... Um, Next week we'll 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 go through the uh, the James White debate with uh, Craig. Look at the idea of Molinism. I think it's it's good to to examine what they believe. Why I think that they get into some problems. Um, yeah. You know. So let me just see because uh, I see Pastor Armand uh, saying Ar doesn't find. Uh, doesn't want to find any common ground with you, Pastor Andrew, because then he would have to go out of his script. And and that's another point of what people do is, yeah. you know, I said this to, to one of the pastors out there is, you know, the guy I was debating preferred a monologue over a dialogue, and that becomes a problem, you know. So let me put up, um, oh, we just lost, lost Matt. Him. And you wanted your kids to say hi to Matt, so you'll have to. Yeah, you know. so you know, all right. messed it all up. So some of the things, some comments we did get. Uh, KT says, I'm so thankful for Andrew and Justin and Anthony. Apologetics live uh, and the chat here. Linda had said, I'm born again, saved 1975, but was 100% free will believer until watching American Gospel and finding Justin Peters and you, Andrew Rapport, when the lockdown started in 2020. So uh, we, th- we, we thank you for that. Uh, and that's, that's what we're trying to do here is show you yeah. kind of not just doing apologetics, but showing you how to do apologetics. Um, yeah. I hope this has been helpful. Um, there's Matt. Um, you're trying to just keep him out, you know. So yeah. uh, I, I hope this has been helpful for you guys. So we'll, we'll be on next week. We will, we will be, the plan is to be here next week, but not on the 30th. Uh, we'll probably take the 30th off. And so... Uh, We'll see if maybe Matt will join us next week as well, and uh, we can we can continue the the debate on Molinism and talk about that. So, uh, and that it deals with more issues because it deals with the issue of evil. Um, who has a better argument for it? So, uh, with that, go check out karm.org. You'll see. Uh, also, if you want, check out Matt's radio program, Matt's Like Live. Uh, they are 
on the Christian Podcast community as well. For I don't know that I mentioned it last week, but they are a new uh, a new host uh, a new uh, show on the Christian Podcast community, and so that might be something you want to go check out. Go to ChristianPodcastCommunity.org, and you can check out um, the different uh, the different episodes Matt has. Matt Slick Live, it is out there. And so if you, if you check that out, um, the, you're going to get daily, uh, five days a week, I should say, some good, good comments. Um, occasionally. Occasionally. Uh, you'll get some entertaining, shall we say, discussion with obstreperous guys, uh, people that are... Yeah, I was going to say, you get to learn what obstreperous twit means. And so we, we have the comment that Mike Stockwell didn't say, have much to say. So, Mike? Good night. My, my pillow is calling me. My pillow. <laughs> he he will be sleeping on my pillow tonight. So with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. We're out of here. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For ninety dollars more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For one hundred and thirty more, you'll be a swole member. And for just three hundred dollars more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May tenth. See Home Club for details.